0: Welcome to the Highly Objective Podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news. I've uh, been in the cannabis space for about uh, 11 years now. Uh, I started uh, 11 years ago with a value-added reselling company with my business partner that I founded Urban Grow with. We had a, a company actually in the commercial lighting space together where we'd retrofit uh, healthcare facilities, uh, convention centers, small cities with uh, more energy efficient LED lighting. Uh, Started that about 13 years ago. And that was the company that eventually uh, spurred the creation of of Urban Grow and uh, became our sole focus. And for the first uh, few years, it was mostly value added reselling of lighting fixtures and uh, we we had great reception uh, early on. Our clients asked, "Hey, great service levels. What else can you uh, can you provide to us?" And so, in the subsequent four years, we got into the design of cultivation. Uh, this integrated integrated cultivation design is what we referred to it as. But the design of the flow of the flow of water, and air and how people and product and systems interacted within a cultivation facility. I had had great luck there. I also were integrating at the time, uh, benching systems, lighting, uh, irrigation, fertigation systems. We uh, then listed on the NASDAQ in January, February of 21, and uh, it was a perfect time to, to list. We raised $62 million. And when we listed, we listed with the intention of being the leading design build provider in the cannabis space. And we also added vertical farming to our focus at that time. Uh, executed according to strategy acquired architect, engineering, and construction companies. Uh, today we have a hundred and Forty-five employees made up of all different types of engineers and architects, interior designers, construction management individuals, and then also uh, a team of horticulturists. And uh, had a, had a great uh, start in, in 21, entering 22, and then unfortunately the, the cannabis industry uh, started to fall off. So as we'll talk today, uh, the word diversification is a key word in the evolution of of urban grow. And uh, when we started to focus on on diversification, it was to, it was to really keep the company strong while the cannabis sector has uh, been going through a, a downturn and uh and a reformulation, we'll call it.
1: Yeah, let's let's jump right into kind of that evolution of, you know, where you diversify, which I agree that should have happened away from cannabis and into a few other industries which now may make up it sounds like more so the majority of your revenue so let's you know kind of walk me through when you guys started thinking about that and when you started executing on that and you know how should we maybe this is a crystal ball question but look at that mix of cannabis and other industry clients how should that look you know end of next year let's say
0: for sure, we we started about five quarters ago. It was right early stage with some weakness in the cannabis space. Everyone at the time felt like we did that it was just short term, and uh, everything would would turn around. But we, what we focused on is the contracts that the acquired companies had outside of the cannabis space. Uh, the acquired companies were all cash flow positive, and they were anywhere from 20 to 50% in, in the cannabis space. So you know, we, we were integrating in our solutions and, and training and, and getting everyone focused on the cannabis space. But when we looked at those other contracts, there were some really strong uh, light industrial contracts with uh, consumer packaged goods, beverage companies, um, a global hotel chain in terms of doing some some uh, architecture and interior design work. And then, from an engineering standpoint, a large um, aircraft uh, company. There was, you know, among others, there was hundreds of clients, but these are the the large ones that we're focused on. So we started to look at how can we leverage the strength of our balance sheet to do more business with these key customer relationships. And at the time, um, cannabis started more aggressively decreasing and so unfortunately for us we burnt about 12 million dollars it took five quarters but we're in a position now in the fourth quarter of 2023 where we could say we're not reliant um, on the success of the cannabis space to be profitable as a company so we've guided on the fourth quarter here 30 million in revenues this quarter and positive adjusted ebitda for the first time in, in a year and a half now Out of that 30 million, about three quarters would be outside of the cannabis space. And, you know, to answer the second part of your question, looking forward to the future. Right now, our backlog, about two thirds of it is still in the cannabis space. And um, for us, cannabis, the success in in our cannabis division, it's not tied to a big event like rescheduling or safer baking although of course that will like for many other ancillary providers and operators provide just the 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 tremendous boost that everyone needs right now but for us in the legalized states there's about 7 of them now uh, new york for example or or florida adding more they have delays regulatory delays or legal delays in awarding licenses and so we have a couple dozen clients that we've been working on design for in those states. When they figure out the the issues, the regu- regulatory issues, and those licenses are awarded, we're confident that we'll move to a build stage with those clients. So you know we'll announce those projects as they happen. Um, sure wish they would uh, start happening uh, pretty quickly, but uh, if if that side of the business, th- these are twenty to thirty million dollar build projects. So if the regulatory delays are worked out day, you'll start to see that cannabis side of our business become um, much stronger than it is right now. I would estimate right now pretty safe 50-50 for cannabis and then business outside of cannabis for 2023, sorry, 24. We have not given guidance at all for next year, but you know our current Q4 guide is more indicative of where we expect our business to be in future quarters.
1: What's been sort of the the way for you guys that's been effective to build up and, and win some of these customers, right? Because as you expanded outside of cannabis, I imagine there are competitors that you're going up against that says, hey, we've been building and designing CPG manufacturing for decades, you guys haven't done it. So you're up against some of these other folks in an RFP. So how have you been able to enter new verticals and and win business? By executing, by doing what we say we're gonna do.
0: The acquired companies had long-term relate, these were 10 to 20 year old uh, private companies with long-term partnerships with these clients. And they did what they said. They were just smaller scale. So when you look at, you know, the fact we still today don't have uh, any bank debt on our books, um, cash position entering Q4 was still close to 5 million. Uh, when we started down the path with these clients, we can bond much larger projects and, and many, um, you know, instead of bonding a few projects, we can bond 10 at once, just as an example. That's just a rough number that I'm pulling out. But uh, we we can start, you know, what I've learned is the attractiveness of, of the acquired companies to the client is the fact that the communication they have, they know what's happening in terms of pipeline with their clients, and they can start quickly once they're awarded it. So when you look at these large multi-billion dollar construction firms, I don't look at them as competitors. Actually, they often sub in Urban Grow's. Uh, services and construction to some of their projects because we're better set up to handle those 10 to 15 million dollar contracts like the, the 9.6 million dollar one that we, that we announced on the 30th of November. So there's there's absolutely a niche market in the design build of, of 30 million dollar and under projects. Uh, we just had a golf resort actually signed in, in Q3 in the southeast. And that client was not, uh, they were going to hire their own construction management individual. They were going to have to hire their own project management team. They couldn't find a turnkey design build firm. And when they found us and realized that we had all of these architects, engineers and construction on staff under one roof, they loved that single point of responsibility that, that we brought to, uh, that we brought with us. It, much easier, much more efficient. Ultimately, um, we're confident that we can save our clients uh, money as well and provide extra value by just streamlining the, the entire process. We've got a great project management tool that we've invested uh, seven figures into that allows our clients to see real time what's happening on all their projects. It's a client facing and vendor facing portal. So it's, a uh, working on providing strong service levels day is our key. Very similar to what we've been doing in the cannabis side, but just expanding that to uh, to other markets, including industrial education, healthcare, hospitality, and, um, and others that we're
1: expanding to. If you look at the projects on the Urban Growth site, there's 83 listed. I assume that's projects from the acquired companies as well, right? Yep, that's correct. And t- tell us a bit more about those acquisitions. You know, uh, when when did you make the acquisitions? Um, how much did you pay? You know, how much of it was in cash? I'm just trying to you know, understand from the IPO and, and raising 54 million, and, and I think even right after that that quarter, you guys probably used some of that cash to pay off certain things. So the balance, even I, I think shortly after, was not you know close to 54. I want to say. 27 million in cash at the NFQ one 2022. So just trying to understand, you know, where the cash has kind of been spent, uh, and if some cash certainly on acquisition and some cash to diversify the business. But help me understand that plus some of the acquisitions that you've made that we've referenced.
0: Okay, Dave. Yeah, when we listed on the Nasdaq, it was 62 million after we paid our fees and paid off our debt. At that point, it was more or less 50 million. Uh, was on our war chest at that point. We made our first uh, acquisition about six months later at the end of July, and we acquired the architect firms uh, 2WR out of Georgia and then MJ-12 out of Colorado. Same ownership group in both of them. Uh, One was focused on the cannabis space, uh, and one was focused uh, in other markets. But they had been partners, four partners together for for about fifteen years, I believe we acquired that firm or that that group of firms for as little over nine million, and a combination of cash uh, and equity, and then also an earnout as well that we offered to those uh, those partners. The next uh, acquisition was in. It's almost a year later. It was right at Q2, Q2 of 22. And that was the construction management firm. And that was right around 7 million. A same sort of.
1: That was Emerald Construction uh, Management, right?
0: Yeah, Emerald Construction Management. And that was the same sort of breakout in terms of uh, cash equity and then uh, an earnout as well. And then in Q4 of 22, just over a year ago, we acquired. Uh, DVO, Dawson Van Orden based out of Houston, uh, a team of about 26 engineers, all different types uh, and and based in uh, an office in Houston, Texas. And that was the same. So with all of these groups, the goal was to bring in services, be cross-trained, integrated as one entity uh, going forward. And we've uh, we've definitely successfully done that. Uh, one example would be a CPG beverage company where Emerald had worked with them for for a long time. This, this is the one that we were talking about earlier as well. And they would do smaller projects, construction only. And now today, the project size is is probably five x of where it was. And most projects include engineering, architecture, and construction. So the, you know, cross pollinating the client with all of our solutions in the, in the cannabis space, we, um, you know, with the architecture, getting involved with clients, probably 18 months before startup gives us an awesome chance to build that relationship, demonstrate what else we can do, deliver early on, build trust and confidence and urban grow in the client's eyes. And if we're if we're executing properly there is no reason for the client not to and we're being fair and not greedy there's no reason for the client not to move to the build stage with urban grow and subsequently into the equipment integration stage as well uh, unfortunately when when we had the the whole band together as we collectively envisioned with a phenomenal solution that's when the industry started to turn and and facilities uh, really ground to a halt. New new facility buildouts. So as the um, as the market begins to open up, like I've said in the the seven or so states where there's regulatory delays, when those licenses are awarded, we're finally going to be able to spread our wings and uh, and provide that solution that that we that we uh, dreamt of when we put all the companies together over the last two and a half years.
1: And how does a, a company like yours typically trade, right? Because given your, your revenue, um, I think you guys on, on any given day are about 13 to 15 million market cap. Um, and, and like you mentioned, it's it's probably lower than that since you have no debt. Um, I, I think I might've seen a little under 2 million of debt, but call it 4 million in cash. Um, is that kind of the right multiple typically that a company like yours trades at, or is it discounted for some reason, or is it just, you know, kind of the size you're in? So you know, you don't hit the threshold for market cap, so certain people aren't paying attention to it. Um, people, people might not be familiar that you've kind of diversified, you know, into other industries beyond cannabis. Um, help, help us understand sort of you know why the company trades where it does.
0: I knew the secret sauce uh,
1: <laughs> I, uh, I I
0: would absolutely be be utilizing it right now. It's the most frustrating part of our business when we listed on the NASDAq, our revenues were not twenty twenty six million at the time, and our market cap was a hundred million it grew to hundred and seventy million and now today, when we're guiding on a thirty million dollar quarter back to positive adjusted EBITDA and uh, to have a market cap of of around 13, 14 million. It's 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 very frustrating to to say the least. We um are, are a micro cap now. And I feel that the the investors believe we need to raise money. They believe we have to do an equity raise. Uh when we have I say we have no debt, we have no bank debt. We do have a seller's note that will be cleared up. Um most of that tumor will be cleared up by the end of the year. I think there's a half million left in Q1 uh, to clear up, but no no bank debt. So I I feel we have to deliver positive adjusted EBITDA quarters and we've maintained that we do not need to do an equity raise. And we are, we have the right momentum right now and are going the right direction. So it's just, it's doing sort of how we started the company doing what we say and delivering good, strong, profitable quarters. I believe that we are tied into the cannabis space, so the diversification story. You know, the original investors invested in. We're investing in, in a cannabis, uh, story where we were are evolving and diversifying into vertical farming. Uh, that was that was the the messaging, the strategic plan at the time. So the diversification story, probably hasn't taken full effect, and we've got to focus on continue to focus getting out. Doing podcasts like this day, um, you know, meeting with new investors, family offices, and, uh, and building a following. But I, what we're building now, yeah, these are big names that I'll throw up, but like Bowman, Stantec, Jacob Solutions, even AECOM. These are companies that do a half billion to 15 billion in revenues per year. Professional services consulting firms. And that is what we're building now with Urban Grow. Those companies trade in terms of multiples of revenue anywhere from one to two times. And right now, Urban Grow is trading at a multiple of about 0.15 times. So as we as we build the confidence in our investors for us to run a profitable company, I'm confident and I want to believe that the investors will then begin to... Um, to get more heavily involved, we we also do have a relatively small tradable float. You know, a little over 11 million shares outstanding. However, about 40% of those shares are held by insiders and friendly individuals. I hold about half of that, just under 20%, 18% ownership in the company, and then on top of that, uh, 40, about 21%. Of the company is held by institutional holders. So there's only about four million shares in our tradable float, and the liquidity, uh, it's you know, I, I wish we had a higher liquidity and traded more on a a more regular basis. but day, it's it's the message the the messages that I have for today, it's diversified company and and doing all we can to get to positive adjusted EBITDA starting this quarter and maintaining that into the future.
1: Yeah, I, I think that EBITDA's is issue. You guys have guided towards break-even to even slightly positive for this quarter that we're in Q4 2023. You know, from from what I can tell, based on sort of vertical farming, ag tech companies, they typically will trade at call it seven, eight times on average forward EV EBITDA. So I think, you know, I, I'm not gonna ask you for your 2024 guidance for it now, but I think once you guys get into that positive EBDA territory and, and they can actually value you as well on a board EBDA multiple, I think that certainly should also help the market cap.
0: I, I agree. You know, right now uh we're we're a turnaround story, right? And uh we have to show that we've successfully executed that that turnaround and and aren't dependent on one specific sector. And so I've got the whole team focused on that. When that sector does come back, um you know, we'll have a strong company, 145. It'll be a, more more individuals added on by that point in terms of as we grow, we just add more architects, engineers, site supers, and project managers. But um, we will we'll have a strong company ready to deliver uh, to our cannabis clients when, when, the, when the market turns or when the uh, licenses are awarded in those states with regulatory delays.
1: What states are, are you thinking are going to open up more for some of these construction? Is it sort of the newer states that have announced they're opening up for adult use? So something like an Ohio, where a year from now we should have adult use. So in theory, people are building out cultivation. New York, obviously, delays, right, is what I think of, should be building out some of those cultivation facilities. Um, yeah, just just help us better understand what, what states, if you can, unless it's giving away too much into who your clients may be.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, not at all. It's all east of the Mississippi uh, right now, predominantly Um, the, you know, in Florida, it's them awarding like more licenses within the state, Um, Georgia, Alabama, you know, in Georgia, they just, you know, finally a year and a half later, uh, awarded some more licenses in the last couple of weeks. New Jersey just opened up New York. Uh, absolutely, a hundred percent. Right, like we have multiple clients that we've completed design in New York, but until they're awarded a license, they're not going to be able to access their funding to to grow from there. But a perfect example is is New York. They award licenses hopefully to the cl- our clients who've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on design. Um, they get that license, then you would see us announce a an AIA build contract, which uh, would be followed uh, hopefully by an equipment uh, procurement contract as well.
1: Are you guys competitive with an Agrify or not necessarily because you might build a cultivation manufacturing space, but they're trying to sell more of their vertical farming units, um, or are they competitive?
0: No, they're not competitive. There's there's no overlap with, with Agrify, uh, the other ancillary companies like Hydrofarm and Grow Generation. Uh, no overlap there either with with Agrify. Actually, they could be a potential client. If if they have a client that's buying their VFUs, uh, well, they're gonna need to build a facility around those VFUs. Those VFUs would need to be fed with uh, the fertigation and uh, nutrient delivery system. And we could be uh, building out that, providing that as well. Uh, with the other two, GroGen and, and Hydrofarm, really focused on retail stores. And then, you know, they have the, what, what's great about those, their offerings is they have that recurring revenue after the sale and um, with their their dry nutrients or their other projects or the other products that they offer. I think that's great. I think that's an area right now for Urban Grow, our recurring revenue is more projects with the same client, regardless of what sector that's in. And uh, a, a future, a future, Addition to our company would probably be something that addresses that more in the ag tech side, uh, not in the product side at all. but but that's not even on our radar at this point, but I do like that that recurring revenue portion on the on the back end. We today are we also have a, a solution, Grow care, where we have our horticulturists continue to to work with clients on a monthly basis. It's an annual program. And it's more proactively, it's maintenance and proactively looking for ways to optimize the facility, make sure all the equipment systems that we integrated are operating efficiently, but nothing material to to note in our um, on our quarterly financials.
1: Something like a CEA Industries, then.
0: Yeah, a CEA Industries. So they the old Cerna, they really focused early on on the mechanical side. And manufactured their own solutions. And they listed on the NASDAQ about two quarters after Urban Grow. Very uh, they they listed with a very similar model, except whereas all of our services are in-house and there are employees, they had more of an outsource model as well. So I would say that they would be out of all of the, the groups, the other three, and, and sort of so these four. Uh, talked about they would be the closest to a competitor, but we haven't uh, run up against them in the market at all.
1: Got it. And funny enough, I looked at their market cap as of today, December, I guess it's based on yesterday's closing, December 7th, uh, yeah. $4,200,000 is their market. Oh, cap. Geez. So I don't know if that's it's, a-
0: a, hey, hey, look, all four, all five of us have really been impacted in the last uh, year and a half. And I'd say even with operators well, everyone's really cheering for each other right now. We want each other to be successful because uh, there's a lot of business out there to be shared. And uh, one failure is heard much more loudly than one success right now, unfortunately, uh, in this industry.
1: Right. You kind of get all grouped into just the cannabis ancillary publicly traded names that are small and mid-cap, sort of, right? So you're whether or not you actually compete, like we were just talking about, the investors, the institutional investors, retail investors kind of bucket you all the same.
0: And that's correct. They do today, right? And but when we've talked about diversification and the fact that we've been able to build a book of business that is three-quarters outside, at least in Q4 Guide, three-quarters outside of the cannabis space. We've really been fortunate to have that opportunity to diversify like we have. Uh, because it's, it, it, we, we had, uh, we had great, a great starting point, right? Existing contracts in multiple industries from the acquired companies. And we are a services company uh, at Urban Grow. So we had, a, we had a great head start. Thank goodness. Uh, we we started to diversify when we did and looking forward a year, two years, uh, we can be great in, in many industries, not just one or many sectors, not just one.
1: Yeah. And no, I think that diversification certainly helps. I mean, hopefully cannabis has kind of, you know, gone past that trough, which I'm hoping was maybe a year ago or six months yeah. ago, but hopefully, you know, we're, above kind of the, the trough from the past.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. All And and when you look at our service providers, I'll add, hey, the architects, engineers, they're not separated by sector. We don't just have some that just focus on, on CEA or cannabis. They're cross-trained across the board. And um, so that's, that's really important as well as the sector comes back. So, all right, we've got, uh, we've got the group that we're focused on. You know, one, one important piece to add tied to the fact that we were, we did go negative adjusted EBITDA and the fact, you know, as I mentioned, it took us about five quarters and $12 million of burn in order to not be fully reliant on the cannabis space. We, we are top heavy, and I realized that. We made cuts in Q1 um, on the acquired companies. We kept the leaders. That was part of the reason we acquired them was for their, um, for their knowledge expertise uh, inside the cannabis space and outside of that space. So right now, you know, we're set up to deliver 30, 40, $50 million quarters without having to add any senior leadership to our team. We just, as I had mentioned, add professional services individuals, but when we were delivering sub $20 million quarters. It's just, that's just the SGNA was just too high, but I was aware about it, of it. I talked about it. I just didn't want to cut into the muscle because we'd be taking away from our future growth. Glad I didn't. And um, we're now in a, a great position to, to deliver great quarters.
1: And, and help us understand what's the headcount today and sort of how's that Distributed between U.S. And, and I guess even within the U.S. and, and Europe.
0: So 145 individuals total. Uh, at the height in uh, Q1 of this year, we were at I think 165. Um, we have we we did reduce then, and we talked about that publicly. But since then, we've also been adding um, and subtracting, and then adding, so strengthening key areas. Uh, that will provide um, increased knowledge and, and increased uh, capabilities for the for the future growth. They are operating out of five offices in the US and then we have an office in the Netherlands as well. Uh, the office in the Netherlands is Dordrecht and it's about 45 minutes from Amsterdam and we have four people working out of that office. And, and talking about Europe, you know, it's been, it's been a tough run over there as well uh, for us. And, you know, about a $300,000 a quarter burn, or I'll call it investment into, uh, into future business. With the European market, it really uh, suffered in the whole CEA segment, just like overall horticulture
1: segment, actually, just like the US has. So did you mean to say six U.S offices, or did you guys shutter one in the last month?
0: No, no, we haven't uh, we haven't shuttered any. So we have two offices in Denver, uh, about an hour apart, so six, six total, you're right. Um, but uh, we have our original office up in Lafayette, and then when we acquired the construction management and architect firms, we consolidated them down in Centennial.
1: That that feels like some consolidation once uh, either lease expires or whichever one expires. Yeah.
0: yeah, correct. In our in our original office up in Lafayette, uh, Colorado, it's uh, it used to be about forty people in here, and now it's about a quarter of that. So you're absolutely right. Look for synergies and cost savings wherever we can, for sure.
1: And, and let me just go back to what what you mentioned earlier about sort of the value proposition with Urban Grow and, and please add any others. But the, the way I kind of look at it is I look at slide five in your investor presentation. It's this turnkey approach. So rather than hire you know, a general contractor, an architecture firm, a construction firm, whatever else you might need to complete whatever you're trying to build that building, it's hired Urban Grow. We have all those things or we have our software, we have our know-how, we can manage some of those other folks that we may not employ and you're going to save money and you're going to save time. and You're going to do it right. If you use urban grow versus trying to piecemeal things yourself. And, and, you know, I hope that's what it is. Cause that's my understanding from my time at MedMen, even though I wasn't on our uh, retail out teams that always felt like, you know, things always took longer and cost more than budgeted because we were using a couple of different vendors for all these things.
0: You're 100% right. You know, And as we build a professional services consulting firm, our expertise, our value add is always going to be the CEA space. That's what we worked hard for collectively in one form or another. We've worked on more than 1,000 facilities in the uh, cannabis space. We've seen a lot. We know what works. We know what doesn't. So if we can help help steer a client away from making a future mistake, we'll do so but it's that that the efficiencies of a single point of responsibility, um, it, it's, we believe in the cannabis space at least a quarter early we can get a client operational. An example would be mechanical systems or switchgear, an electrical piece that has a nine-month lead time right now. If we're already working with the client early on on the design side, it's easy for us to bring the importance of making that decision up. And so that doesn't become a delay later on for them. That's just one example of of many, but utilizing that that project management tool that we've built, having our project management team skilled in this industry. um, For example, a large MSO over the last six months uh, released their internal design build team because they weren't building out facilities we uh it was recommended that we we talked to one of their leaders i did and we hired him as a svp of of operations it's somebody that has 35 plus facilities of experience it's going to make our team better today it's going to make our offering better in the future as well so the value add is in the the level of knowledge that we bring and the efficiencies that we bring to those clients also, in the non-cannabis space, it's mostly on efficiency and and having all of those individuals under one roof. So you nailed it, Day.
1: Okay, good. Good. This is what I try to do. Right there's yep. a lot of technical terms for uh, things that I don't work in, in in certain industries, and certainly I work in cannabis. But uh, you guys are, uh, you know, working on a very specific part of the industry. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to understand that, and and hopefully you know help other people understand urban growth and what you guys do and, and are doing. Perfect. Okay. So, so one other thing that stands out to me, if I look at your balance sheet, you know, accounts payable, 22.2 million account receivables, 18.3 million to help us understand how, you know, kind of that, that number you know, seems a little high versus historically. And I, I get it. We're in a challenging environment. Um, but how should we sort of look at your AR and your AP?
0: Well, in the, in the, it's predominantly all non-cannabis business. You know, with, with the large clients that we have um, outside of the cannabis space, they have terms with us. Um, with the vendors, we have equivalent type terms that we match, almost pay when you get paid. So they're pretty aligned right now. That is uh, a strong receivable number. And as I've mentioned on on the past two earnings calls, those are those are grade A receivables with Fortune 50 clients. Great, if if we that's why we do not need to do an equity raise. At some point, it would be smart for us to put uh, an asset based line of credit in place, leveraging those receivables, and that would help fund the growth of the company. Those much larger quarters that I alluded to earlier, but it's uh, it, they're about the same right now. The reason why there's so much higher day than they have been in the past is our non-cannabis business was, was just evolving, not strong in the cannabis space, uh, apart from the larger MSOs that we uh, work with. It's, the whole industry is, is pretty much um, you know, pay before you ship on equipment systems and uh, its percentage of completion on the design side.
1: Got it. And I'm very glad I asked you about that because we know that AR in cannabis is very different than AR outside of cannabis.
0: Yeah. No, as you see, we've we've been very fortunate with the, uh, from a bad debt standpoint, we've managed that very nicely and uh, have had no, no material impact to our bad debt over the last year and a half.
1: No, I, I certainly see that on your balance sheet. Yeah. So. Look, you, you guys sound like you're, you're in a great position today, right? Diversified away from the business uh, of just being in cannabis and CEA. Um, you have the right team and infrastructure in place. You're making a lot of progress. And now that you're a year, two years into integrating some of these acquisitions you've made over the past few years, seems like the company's well positioned. Um, what what could go wrong and, and what could go right in the, in the next year for you guys?
0: What could go wrong?
1: Well, let's Let's talk about what could go right.
0: Um, the states that have regu- legalized states that have regulatory delays and legal delays, they start to release licenses. Our clients sign, build deals with us, and we successfully then integrate equipment into those uh, projects as well. That that's what I see is going right. We we've got everything's going right outside of cannabis now. As you see from the AR and uh, you see from the announcements that we've made. We continue to sign larger a fewer number of projects that are much larger. I think that's really important from a, an efficiency standpoint uh, for the company. Um, what could go wrong? You know, the industry continues to, to, they don't release licenses in those states. You know, they don't reschedule. Uh, they don't uh, pass a safe banking. You know, these are all key measures for our clients and I, I was watching it benzinga and boris from cureleaf said that when a rescheduling would take place when they get rid of a, a safe, the 280e right it, it they would have an extra i believe it was 150 million per year and they would spend that 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 incremental those incremental funds on expansion capex expansion something has to turn in the industry uh, for our clients to access funds and capital. And I think it's uh, very important. So what go, what could go bad? It's just more of the same for another year. There has to, uh, there has to be a breakthrough. I sit on uh, the national cannabis Roundtable board with some other, um, with some strong, some of the top MSO leaders uh, sit on that board as well. And, uh, there's there's a lot of lobbyists both mso's are investing in lobbyists and through groups like the natural sorry um national cannabis roundtable there's a lot of money going in to change right now so i'm confident that we will see change and we will see breakthroughs but it just takes time i I think it was around this time last year that it was almost a it was 99.9 chance that safe banking would pass and here we are a year later and uh, another year has passed without it, without anything, without any change. It, it's sad, it
1: has to change. Yeah, I don't know where you heard those odds from. I, I've never <laughs> believed it to be that high, right? I think, uh, look, I've only been in cannabis about half the amount of time that you've been in it, but I, I even know in my time not to be so optimistic on sort of certain timings, right? It's like whatever timing you get from even reliable sources, definitely discounted is certainly what I've learned.
0: Well, look, hope for the
1: best, plan for
0: the worst, right? And that's what diversification for Herbogrow has provided. Um, a solid company that is now guiding to be back at positive adjusted EBITDA, but then is hoping that these other markets open up. So we'll be prepared to, to rapidly grow again. But if it doesn't, we're in a position now where we can grow with, with contracts outside of the cannabis space, and and just wait and be ready to provide quick turnaround solutions for our clients when they have the funds and and um, intentions to to grow more rapidly, whether it's in their states or or outside of their their base states.
1: I think that's the right approach, and yeah, I've been happy to to watch you guys diversify away and just wait to step up even more in cannabis. So really appreciate you being on, Brad, and and helping us understand a bit more about Urban Grow over the past few years and and where you guys are at today.
0: Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate it.